Well, good morning. It is good to be back after a busy couple of weeks and some summer sunshine. Now, I have a confession that I have to make. I talk a lot about sunshine, and I really, really, really love sunshine and um, really hot weather, weather. And you may have felt, based on the last year and a half of knowing me, that I would be completely okay with the highest temperatures recorded on planet Earth. Um, because we've had this conversation a few times. Well, I went to the desert in the middle of the summer because I also thought that I would be okay with the highest temperatures on planet Earth. Um, however, um, I will say that choosing to hike in 113 degree weather is not a good idea, even if you like sunshine. So I may also have a temperature limit. And in case anybody feels like they needed that clarification this morning, I have not been lying to you for a year and a half about the temperatures that I enjoy. It's just that I maybe don't love 113 as much as I thought I would. Uh, but it was still very fun and enjoyable, and it's good to be back here where the temperatures are actually fairly nice in the summer um, and um, enjoyable all day. So thank you for... Uh, being here and for your gracious gifts. Last week, we um, got to hear from the Rosados. And the Rosados were missionaries traveling from Portland to um, Seattle. That wasn't their mission, traveling from Portland to Seattle. <laughs> but they were traveling from Portland to Seattle and stopped here, missionaries in Latin America. And on that Sunday, we gave to them over $500 to send on their way. So thank you uh, for doing that and being a part of their journey and being able to be an um, extension of the body of Christ. Christ for them here uh, in Centralia. And I hope that this summer you're getting to build relationships. We've been doing Wednesday nights. We have a couple left where we've gotten to meet some people and get to see some answered prayers um, and experience what God is doing in that space as well. And then coming up, we have barbecues on Sunday mornings um, after church in August. We're going to eat food together. We're going to set up some shade tents and some tables and chairs um, and have some barbecues together and just plan on also getting to know each other and hanging out and being in that space. And so after church in August, don't run away. I mean, don't run away ever, but like in August in particular, don't run away because we're going to have lunch and get out of the big uh, grill and do hot dogs and hamburgers. And then if you would like to or can, bring a side to share at the August barbecues. And so if you look in your program, there's more information about those. But Let's jump into today. We are in a series that we took a couple weeks off of on Jesus and the historical and cultural implications of Middle Eastern lifestyle. And we've been breaking down ways that our Western understanding of Scripture has impacted our ability to read it uh, in a culturally accurate or historically accurate way. And so we've been walking through assumptions we have uh, made on a basis of Western living and kind of what the day and age that we live in looks like, and then pairing it to the day and age that Jesus was doing the ministry that occurred. And so 
In this particular parable, if you've grown up in the church, I think you've probably heard it multiple times, but it has strong Western influences in it. And so as we go through this parable, we're just going to kind of open up our, our hearts and our minds to say, Lord, what do you want me to see in this parable that may be different than my previous uh, understandings or ways that I've read it? But do you remember this song? We're going to play a song. All right, I told the sound guys if I started singing or dancing to just cut all connections, turn off all the lights, and say, we're done, bye-bye, because you don't want to hear me sing from here. But that song, the wise and the foolish builder song, may have um, potentially um, jogged some childhood church memories because it is a very common song. But there's some really, 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 really important language in this parable. And sometimes we oversimplify the words of Jesus and we turn them into um, little songs, which is good, but then we miss out on some of the other things that are happening. And so that is our parable for today. Let's jump into Luke chapter 6. It says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When the flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed, and its destruction was complete. This parable breaks down with some different language, and if you've already read this story in the book that we're using through this, you may know this already, but let me sort of walk through how the language breaks down. There's sort of three sections to this parable, and the first section is this idea that you hear and you do. The second is that there's a house that's built, there's house building, and then the third is that there are the results of building the house and what happens. And the story starts with one way to build a house and then the results of the way that that house was built and then starts over with a house built another way and then the results of how that house was built. And in each of these house building stories, the climax of the story is the storm. So that's sort of the layout of this particular parable. And the story is told two different ways in the Gospels. You may have heard it as the wise and foolish builders, um, or you may have heard it as the rocky and sandy foundation. And there are two different ways that this same story plays out in Scripture. And it's sort of been simplified down to a little bit of a folklore, a little bit of a song. It has some hand motions, like we know it or we grew up in church and we've heard it before. And it's sort of been oversimplified. Uh, but some of what we miss in the Middle Eastern culture is that building a house was a very different experience. And a very different story. And so if you wanted to build a house today, and some of you know this because you've built a house. If you wanted to build a house today, there are requirements for your foundation. 
There are significant requirements for your foundation. The city or the county where you are planning to build, they check your architecture. The architecture has to use an engineer. The engineer has to decide if the foundation can withstand the house you're going to put on it, plus the ground that it's built in, and all of these steps along the way to ensure that your foundation will not crack crumble, fall, whatever it might be in the case of the worst possible earthquake. And so there's all these rules that go into how you construct a foundation. And in most places, that foundation is then built by either your contractor or your builder or a foundation-specific company, and they come in and they pour concrete. Uh, it's very well constructed, and then they have these nicely formed concrete blocks that they create patterns out of that help create the best possible result for your foundation. And it is considered an incredibly important part of the process. And if your foundation doesn't pass the architectural engineering city inspections, they will not let you continue building your house because they don't want to see a house built on a poor foundation. And so then after that foundation, you proceed with framing and building materials are delivered and they show up in the phases that you need them most of the time to show up in. And if you're building today, there might be more of a wait time, but your access to building materials is still really good. They might be slightly more expensive, but your access to those building materials is still very uh, much more than they would have been at the time. And so in contrast... If you were building a house in Middle Eastern lifestyle, the time within which Jesus was telling this parable, home building was an exhausting, strenuous, potentially life-threatening, and uncertain process. We have a lot of certainty in our process with all of the checks and the balances that people have to sign off for you, that professionals notify in a basis of whether or not it was detailed out in paper correctly, detailed out in construction correctly, and so on and so forth. But the parable goes like this. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on a rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house, but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. In Israel at this particular time, people only built houses in the summer. You never built a house outside of the summer. The rain was intense in the winter, and the ridge that Jerusalem sits on occasionally had snow, and no one wanted to build in the unpredictable climate that was winter. And so summer was great for building. There was dry weather, particularly predictable ground, it was warm, but also the downside to building in the summer is that the ground was clay-like. It was packed, it was hard. The phrase used there is actually the term like bronze. So it was incredibly hard, clay-packed. And in the summer, you could easily believe that you would not need a foundation due to the natural landscape that you are working with because of how incredibly hard what you were going to put your house on was. And so opting to build a simple house with seven-foot ceilings, maybe one story out on hard clay, skipping hours of the hot, cloudless sky, uh, digging, and the underlying ground at surface level seems really, really, really good. 
And there's no regulations that tell you what you can or can't build your house on. There's nothing that says if you do this, then you will be likely to uh, result in this type of building. There's no architects. There's no engineers telling you that you have to do it a certain way. There's no city inspectors or county inspectors that come along and say, ah, like this needs an adjustment or this needs an adjustment or this is too much of this or you can't even build until you have this plan for your foundation. It was entirely up to the builder to decide for themselves whether or not they felt like the house needed a foundation and whether or not they would put in a certain type of foundation, whether they would go for digging deep or just partially or whatever they wanted. They could do whatever they wanted. And for some, you're like, that would be really nice if I was building a house and I could do whatever I wanted. Sometimes that's true. It didn't work out so hot in this particular setting. And so the builder thinks oftentimes in this story that the house is okay. It's a small, minimal structure on this clay-like, hard-packed ground. And there's no way that a simple house, low in height, low in weight, low in construction intensity, would cause any problems in the future. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. See, what happens here is then winter comes. It's raining, the ground is soaked, and what happened to this particular ground in the winter is that it turned into chocolate pudding. Very, very, very fast. And what was this hard clay-like bronze, like bronze setting that you put your house on, it in moments becomes chocolate pudding. And the walls start to crack and buckle and the ground gives away underneath the house. The cement blocks they used, they weren't cement blocks in perfect formation, so then the house just sort of sank into the chocolate pudding. They were rocks of all different shapes and sizes and um, styles and looks and feels. And so as the house began to sink in the foundationless space, the clay that turned into chocolate pudding, rocks from the house outside the house began to just pop out. Like they'd get squished and then they'd just like fall out. And so then that's what it means that when it basically crumbles and it's destroyed, its destruction is complete. It's that it didn't just kind of get soft ground and then like sink a little bit. It's that the soft ground caused a buckling, which took all these rocks that are different shapes and sizes and just popped them out the sides until it all completely crumbled. And this situation is not just believable, but it's actually happened, and people have experienced it. Kenneth Bailey tells a story in this particular chapter of the book where in 1991 there was a collapse of an apartment complex because a sewer line had leaked underneath it, and it caused the ground to become unstable. And since the apartment wasn't built on a great foundation, the walls buckled, and the destruction was as bad as an earthquake, Uh, but it was because of the construction style in that particular setting. But there's more happening in this parable than just construction methods. There's more happening than just how we construct a house. You know how sometimes when we read through these stories, there's a whole picture of what 
Jesus followers at the time know he's talking about that we don't know that he's talking about because we weren't there. Similar to like the story about uh, Peter when Jesus had healed his mother-in-law and Peter knew that he owed Jesus a favor, which is why he originally got in the boat. There's all these components to these stories that we don't always think through. We don't always um, know about them. And so it's helpful for us to look at what else is happening at this particular time. And what the listeners of this parable at this time it was being told would know is that Jesus was referencing a thread that happened throughout history. He was not just talking about the basic understanding that we have that if you believe in Jesus, you have a strong foundation, or that if you hear the words of Jesus and then you do them, you have a strong foundation, and that's what this is all about. There's actually a thread that's being played through this whole parable that ties back to the Old Testament, and it's probably not in the song. Uh, that we grew up singing in Sunday school, and so we might have missed it, but I want to go back to Isaiah and read something that ties back to this. Isaiah 28 says, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers who rule this people in Jerusalem. You boast, we have entered into a covenant with death, with the realm of the dead, we have made an agreement. When an overwhelming scourge sweeps by, it can't touch us, for we have made a lie our refuge, aid in falsehood, our hiding place. So this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plumb line. Hail will sweep away your refuge, the lie, and water will overflow your hiding place. Your covenant with death will be annulled. Your agreement with the realm of the dead will not stand. When the overwhelming scourge sweeps by, you will be beaten down by it. So how does this apply? Well, in the Old Testament language, the Isaiah passage is a near parallel to the parable that we're looking at today. It's the parable that we built the wise and the foolish builders off of, the rocky versus the sandy soil uh, story that we've been telling. This Old Testament prophecy, this Old Testament language is a parallel to this particular parable. And we likely don't pick up on that because we don't read through it in the same context and don't have the same historical understanding of the parables. But in this particular story, the context is a little bit different. The Egyptians' worldview was centered on this idea that there were worshiping gods that were the gods of death. And the result of that covenant that they had made, that they're talking about here, is that Egypt would be saved from Syria. And so there was this covenant between the Egyptians and the Assyrians that was happening. And Isaiah here is trying to point out that the foundation they've built is that the, the current world would be what saves them. It was built out of lies. It was built out of confidence in the here and now. It was like this whole foundation that they had constructed between a contract between Egypt and Syria. And so Isaiah's coming in to say, hey, that contract you have is not your foundation. This contract you have between these two nations, it's here and now, and I'm not here and now in the future. That's not the way that Jesus will be. That is not how the kingdom is supposed to go. And so they had built this entire reality on the worship of gods of death and had constructed this covenant, and then they were saying, this is our foundation. And Isaiah comes in to say, that's not the foundation, and that's not what is most important. 
And so he goes on to speak about another foundation, a brighter future. He calls it a cornerstone, a firm foundation. And the belief in such foundation will not give way to weather elements. Another key parallel in the most, both of these parables is that there is, or these stories, is that there is a weather component that shakes what's happening. So he goes on to speak of this other foundation, this brighter future, this cornerstone, this firm foundation, and the belief in that foundation does not get played by weather on any level. But the ending here is that the tools for building the foundation would be justice and righteousness. And this is really important because the people listening to the parable that Jesus is telling, they would know that the tools for the foundation are justice and righteousness. So basically, Isaiah was saying, there's no way you can hope effectively or place confidence in what you think is a foundation, your contract between Egypt and Syria, that this deal you've got going on, your hope is going to be in a foundation that in the future, God will lay. And then later on, because people are people, and we don't always get it right the first time, almost never, Later on, people took this particular passage in Isaiah to assume that it meant that the future that God was going to lay would be the temple of the Jews, and that the fulfillment of this entire section of Isaiah would be in the temple. And so in the temple, they put a stone that they named the foundation stone as a fulfillment of this section of Isaiah. And so when Jesus is telling this parable, people go, oh, yeah, the Isaiah thing. And then they go, oh, yeah, the temple thing. We did all that. Like, what's next? That's what's happening here. Jesus is telling the parable, and people are saying, yeah, we remember the Isaiah thing, the, the tools, the justice, the righteousness, the, the whole foundation, don't trust in the death gods, the contract between Egypt and Syria. Like, that's a no-go, obviously. It turned out to be a no-go, but like, you know, the future. And then the future is here, and it's the temple of the Jews, and we knew that, so we put a stone that signifies that we knew that, and that we're done with this whole thing, because now the foundation rock is here, and we're good. Like, we did this, and now we're here. But what Jesus is trying to offer is that the foundation was not in Isaiah, a hope and a contract between Assyria and Egypt, and neither in the temple in Jerusalem. So Jesus is picking up this parable to say, now nah, we got it wrong the first time, and we got it wrong the second time, and let's try it again. Like, let's do this one more time. And he wanted to get across that the foundation that was prophesied would be laid in the future was actually fulfilled in Jesus himself. Kenneth Bailey says this, To hear and to do my words, said Jesus, was to build on the foundation. That Isaiah promised, in short, he was saying, I am that foundation stone, build on me and my words, and you will not be shaken. The prophecy on a destroyed building and a new foundation is not fulfilled in the temple, but rather in Jesus. In both accounts of this, par in this story, the parallels that are happening here, there's criticism for people who hear the words but don't do the words. There's criticism for faith in a nation and its gods 
ornate temple and its physical existence, an admonition from Jesus to hear and to do the words that he speaks. The wise and the foolish builder's parable that we know, that we sing, that we've understood as rocky and sandy, um, soil-built houses, is built off of an Isaiah prophecy and a rebuke around where the storms predicted were simply faith in this nation basis, or a war-based reality, or a here and now, or a physical sense of what is tangible in my world, a contract or a temple. These were very here and now, tangible things. They were physical things. They were actual things you could pick up, you could touch, you could feel, you would know existed. There was this idea that Jesus was coming and that he was going to win the war on Rome for his people. Remember that whole conflict that led up to his death? And Jesus is teaching this parable knowing that they got it wrong the first time and that they're going to get it wrong the second time because they believe that their hope is in a foundation that has already been planted. It's already been built. There's a rock there that says the foundation stone on it and their foundation was built on the temple. And Jesus saw through all of that to the political disaster that was impending, to the natural world, the destruction, the uh, future that was going to be happening at that point in time. And the, the concept of how people believed that this prophecy would be fulfilled would be inevitably destroyed. But in the same way that Isaiah communicated that not all hope is lost, there's a new foundation coming, the same was true about how Jesus was communicating at the same time in this parable. There's a hope in a new kind of foundation coming. And it's not a temple, it's not a building, it's not a tangible physical thing that you can reach out and touch or engrave in stone that it exists within your world. It's actually a person. It's justice. It's righteousness. 1 Corinthians 3.6 reminds us of a pattern that happens in the New Testament where buildings are replaced with people. I don't know if you've noticed that pattern, but there's a pattern in the New Testament where consistently buildings are replaced with people. Tangible things are replaced with people in that way. It says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? In this parable, Jesus affirms this idea that the temple is less of a building as it is a concept of faith. And that the foundation coming was not just Jesus himself, but also doing the words of Jesus. And that doing the words of Jesus that you hear would be what provided some strength against the storms. Strength against the onslaught of war, the onslaught of political unrest, and not just himself as the foundation that's being addressed here, but also the follow-through on doing what Jesus asked. So there's a couple important observations as we wrap up this morning. As we look at this parable through the lens of kind of cultural and historical implications. And some of them aren't things that we've typically understood in the past. One is that followers of Jesus were being rebuked for placing hope in physical systems and fulfillments. Whether it was hope in the contract that they had in Isaiah, 
or whether it was in the temple that already existed or their desire to see Jesus win the war on Rome, they had missed the mark. And how often do we place our hope without realizing it in systems, in structures, in the here and now, in the tangible things, whether it's in the government or whether it's in some type of political space or whether it's just in a job or in uh, whatever is going on in your world, how often do we place our hope on physical systems and tangible things? The second is that we tend to equate the storm part as only a big deal to the sand house, the one without a foundation. The way that we've commonly read and understood this story is that, yeah, the storm hits both houses, but it only really mattered to the sand house. The storm in this particular story, in the way that it's written with the here and the do and the house built and then the storm that hits the house, the storm language is the same in each house. That storm hits equally hard on both houses. The third thing is that the foundation being discussed here is not just that you believe in Jesus, which is often what we think. How many of us have sung the wise and the foolish builder's song, have understood the wise and the foolish builder's song, and gotten to a space where we're like, yeah, I got a foundation because I believe in Jesus. Like I said, the prayer and my foundation is rock solid. I built on this foundation, which is the faith that I have in Jesus, and that this entire foundation concept is that you have a faith in Jesus. That's where we oftentimes have left this parable entirely. We've gotten to a space where we've said, I have a solid foundation. I believe in Jesus. I said the prayer. And then we move on from it. But that's not what this parable says. It doesn't say that your foundation is solid because you have faith in Jesus, but that your foundation is solid because you're hearing and you're doing the words of Jesus. That doesn't sound like a set up, forever leave and it's good to go kind of a situation. The hear and the do are not past tense. They're current, hearing and doing. We tend to think that we can have a solid foundation because once upon a time ago we built it. When we said a prayer or when we gave our lives to Jesus, and yes, there is validity to the fact that your foundation is in Jesus when you put your faith in him, but this particular parable continues on to say that it's not just a moment where you put your faith in Jesus, but that you are consistently hearing and that you are consistently doing the words of Jesus. In the Isaiah version, it says, the tools used to build the house are justice and righteousness. So the parable doesn't actually say that your foundation is set and solid and good to go once you say a prayer and have faith in Jesus, but that it's in the continuation of hearing and doing the words of Jesus. It's an action-based, present tense foundation that you have to continually be working through, continually be building continually be sharpening and focusing on in hearing and in doing the words of Jesus. How many of us have oftentimes taken our understanding of not just this parable, but life to say, like, I I gave my life to Jesus, so at this point, I'm okay. At this point, my foundation could be hit by anything. And then we get hit by something. And sometimes we get to sit in that space and say, hey, uh, my, maybe my foundation wasn't quite as strong as I thought it was. 
That's because the foundation as we know it isn't a set and leaf. It's a continual act of the present tense of working through the hearing and the doing of the words of Jesus. 